0: Well, this morning, I went out to take Fluffy, our dog, for a little walk. It was like 5 in the morning. And when I opened my front door, I saw Jason, who is on slides for the second time today, rocking it back there, by the way. And uh, so I said to Jason at 5 in the morning, um, hey, good morning. And he's like going for a run, because apparently some people do that at 5 in the morning. Rub off on me, would you? And uh, and I, I, teased him. I said, um, I said, "Oh, are you heading over to get ready for sliding this morning?" <laughs> and uh, and he joked back and said, "Yes, I'm going over to mix up all the slides. So you just follow me." And uh, <laughs> so I, <laughs> I just want you to know: if you like this sermon, all the credit to Jason. If you don't like the sermon, same. <laughs> Anybody, um, anybody around here heard about this pandemic? <laughs> like, remember when people were calling it extended spring break? <laughs> extended spring break. Like, if that is not some serious false advertising, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it's definitely more like a long marathon than a week on the beach. And uh, when it comes to marathons, you know there are like different lengths. You have the half marathon you have the full marathon, and then you have the ultra marathon. Some of you know about this because you have done ultra marathons, but ultra marathons are not measured in, like, meters. Um, it's more like zip codes long, right? That's the ultra. You're you're just running for days and days. And uh, in 1983, when I was eight years old, uh, there was an ultra marathon in Sydney, Sydney, Australia. And tough, dedicated athletes showed up to this ultra marathon. And they were mostly, you know, in their 20s and early 30s. And they had like mostly aerodynamic gear on, mostly like really great shoes sponsored by companies like Nike and Adidas. Adidas how do you say that? Adidas Adidas <laughs> clearly not a runner telling you a running story <laughs> they um they were all standing up and running against like some of the greatest athletes in the world at that time and then there was this guy Cliff Young Cliff Young was a toothless 61 year old potato farmer. He had lived, grown up in like a one-room hut with his six brothers and sisters through the Great Depression. He showed up on the starting line of that race uh, in overalls and Wellington boots, like rain boots. And the media like took one look at him and just laughed. And then they stuck a microphone in his face. And he said, you know, I have grown up on a farm and we have sheep, like 2,000 sheep across 2,000 acres. And when a storm rolls in, I will gather the sheep. And I will run for sometimes a couple of days, gathering these sheep. So I think I can do this race. And the media, of course, was like, um, yeah, right, old guy. Like, Good luck with that. This is an ultra marathon. And so Cliff Young is at the start line. And when the gun goes off, the other runners like blow past him. It's almost like they are the fancy race car, and he's like the Amish buggy, you know, just kind of like shuffling. He was just shuffling along in these funny boots. And when night came, exhausted from like 17 hours of pushing their bodies to the limit, the racers made camp at the side of the road. They slept. All of them except for Cliff Young. Like, nobody had told him that the way to approach an ultra marathon in that time, in that day, the common wisdom was, like, you run for, like, 17 hours and sleep for six, or run for 18 hours and sleep for six, something like that. No one had told him that. No one had told him that was the way to do an ultra. Like, he didn't have any fancy trainers. He didn't have any, like, personal coaches coaching him. The only training that Cliff had for that moment was like the common, ordinary moments of everyday life on a farm. The only training he had for that moment was ordinary life. The things he did naturally, practiced each day. So Cliff Young shuffled down the highway for five days, 15 hours, and four minutes straight. And he broke the all-time record for ultra-marathons at that time, by two days. And when he crossed the finish line, he was actually handed a check for like $10,000. He didn't even know there was a prize for this race. So he's handed this check for $10,000. And he's like, well, I shouldn't get this when everybody worked just as hard as me. And so he divvied up the money among racers and walked home without a penny extra to his name. Cliff Young. You know, there are marathons in life and there are ultra marathons. And perhaps we are in a bit of an ultra marathon right now. The scriptures say that the life of faith can be compared to running a race. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1, 2, and 3 say this. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We're starting this new series today called Second Mountain. We're borrowing that title from a book written by David Brooks where he just talks about there being two mountains in life. Like the first one kind of being about the establishment of our ego, success, proving our worth, showing that we're good enough. And the second one being about something much different. And to frame this series, we are just going to be looking at the life of Jesus. And so today we're starting in this passage in Hebrews. It says, let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. It's interesting in this scripture that there's this metaphor of a long race that's given to describe the life of faith, the journey of faith, the Christian life. The life of faith is a matter of endurance. It is a matter of struggle. It is a matter of of, difficulty. Of course there's victory. There's victory now. There's victory at the end when we cross the finish line. But between now and then, there is struggle. In fact, the little Greek word translated race in this passage is agona. It literally says, like, let us run the agona is where we get the English word agony. Isn't that interesting? Agony. Like when you're running a super long distance like an ultra, or so I've heard, your lungs <laughs> burn. <laughs> right? Your, your legs feel like rubber. There's some agony to completing that. Agony is like this picture of the life of faith in Christ. And the, the writer here says... Fix your eyes on Jesus, fixing our eyes on Jesus. It's interesting, like when you think about a race, there's this start line and there's this finish line. And so the gun goes off and you begin running towards the finish line, one foot after another toward the goal. It's really like not about perfection, but it is about progress towards that end. You gotta run in the right direction. You gotta run towards that goal. Uh, there's a f- kind of a funny story from sports. In 1928, uh, the California California played Georgia Tech in the Rose Bowl. And at that game, there's like a, an event that made sports history. Does anybody know the guy's name? Sports quiz, I wouldn't have either. There's a fumble in the game. And uh, a man by the name of Roy Regals, is that how you pronounce it? I think that's how you pronounce it, Regals. He picks up the ball and he begins to run. And he goes around, one person tries to tackle him, he runs 80 yards with the ball, and then he gets tackled by one of his own teammates because, believe it or not, in all the confusion, he ran the wrong direction on the field. And he got a nickname that kind of stuck with him his whole life, Wrong Way Regals. And I think about that, you know, with this passage, we must fix our eyes on Jesus. Like, we must run in the right direction. There are so many like substitutes for the goal line, for the the end, for the finish line. Of course, there's like obvious ones that our world and culture offer. There's obvious ones like you know make the goal money, sex, and power or something like that. But there's also much more subtle ones, subtle substitutes to fixing our eyes on Jesus. Things like morality. Things like church involvement, much more subtle ones. We can, you know, fix our eyes on a charismatic leader, someone we like to to follow. We can fix our eyes on social change, spiritual formation. We can fix our eyes on a political candidate. We can fix our eyes on our own comfort, security. We can even fix our eyes on just making a life of meaning for ourselves. Certainly these things can matter, but the text says, fix your eyes on Jesus. It also says, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily entangles. Like, you can't run a long race with weight on you. Like, you think about how people will train with ankle weights on for training, but if you get to the start of an ultra marathon and you still have the ankle weights on, that will weigh you down. If you take them off, there will be a weight lifted. And in life, there are weights that hold us back, right? Like bitterness and anger and love of money and anger and envy. In the first century, when runners came to the Olympic Games, uh, they would actually come wearing like long flowing robes. And then when they got to the start line, right before the gun would go off, they would take off the robes. And so the whole track would be like spewn with all of these flowing robes laying all over the place. Because they literally would strip down to being naked sometimes because they didn't want anything in the way. They didn't want any hindrance when they ran the race. They didn't want to be impeded in any way. So they just discarded everything, any weight that would hinder. Now, it's interesting in this passage, like when you really look into it, It says, lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily entangles. And again, I've often thought of that as like the big pet sins or like the big sins, you know, like don't party too hard or something like that. But when you really look at this passage, actually in the context of the whole book of Hebrews, the author is like begging with people to not succumb to faithlessness. Like, the sin that so easily entangles in this context is just the plain old sin of losing heart, of losing the faith. At the beginning of the book, you know, the author goes through all these great heroes of the faith, these men and women who lived by faith. And here, when the author is talking about the sin that so easily entangles, it's actually just the plain old sin of a lack of faith. And it's very often in the long middle of something that we're tempted to lose faith, that we're tempted to lose heart. Think about the different journeys in life. You know, I've never officiated a wedding where it, there wasn't a lot of earnestness right there at the altar. You know, but then there's the long middle. I've not met a parent who looks at their newborn child and is not just completely overtaken with love. But then there's the long middle. And this idea of the life of faith being like a race, like a long, there are these long middles. And the author here is just basically saying, like, pay attention to not lose heart, to not lose faith. The Christian life begins in faith and is sustained by faith, like, every day. So it's almost like, I see this almost like this sacred scripture. It's like coming to us through history like an arrow, straight into the middle, the long middle of a global pandemic that has no clear end in sight. And it's like the author just is shooting these words straight at us through history, saying, Don't lose heart, don't lose faith you notice that in this little section of scripture, there is one word used three times. Did you notice what it is? Endurance. Three times endurance, endure, endurance. It's the main theme of this section. Like if you were um, trying to steal second base or doing like the 100-yard dash, you need speed. But if you're doing anything long distance, you need endurance. Endurance is what's critical. Like, it's like we're more in a marathon right now. And Cliff Young, he ran with an awkward, goofy-looking sort of like shuffle. He's like shuffling along. In fact, they started to call it the Cliff Young shuffle, and you know, people said, like, the conserved energy. That's how I naturally run, but <laughs> that was his, his strategy. All, all through the crowd watching him in that ultra, people were like laughing at him. I mean, people were calling out to him, get that old fool out of here. Before the race began, he actually took out his false teeth because he said that they rattled and bothered him when, when he ran. So he didn't have the best gear. You know, he didn't have the finest trainers. He had no special training, just life. And here's the thing. like at the moment of crisis in life. We have this illusion, this idea that like people rise to the occasion in crisis. You know what usually happens in crisis? We default to training. We like to think like, oh, he got to that front line with absolutely, you know, no experience whatsoever and he rose to the occasion. So that's what we want to do in crisis. We want to rise the occasion. But more often than not, we don't rise to the occasion. We default to training, to the everyday practices that make up our lives. And here is what he had he had endurance. When the sun set and the land became dark, everyone else stopped. But Cliff Young kept going one foot in front of the other, and five days, four, 15 hours, four minutes later, at 1.25 in the morning, he shuffled across the finish line of that ultramarathon, and he had won the race. Like with endurance, water, some pumpkin seeds, <laughs> he finished the race. And I know, talking with many of you, that, you know, there's like, some of you are really struggling right now, and probably safe to say we're all struggling. And when it comes to struggle, like, it's not a competition. You can be struggling in a way that's different than someone else's struggle, and that's still a struggle. It's not a competition. And maybe for some of you, it's like the bottom has fallen out, and maybe for others of you, it's just like, you wake up some days with, like, a serious case of the blahs. Maybe you feel weary. Maybe you feel discouraged. Maybe you're losing heart. And the passage here ends by saying this. Consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Here's the cool thing. The one who has endured... Resides in you by God's Spirit. So when it all gets dark here, there's actually a light that has dawned in here. Because the one who's conquered death resides in you by the power of God's Holy Spirit. So the one who has endured resides in you. Like think about Christ. When he began his ministry, Jesus was tempted by the devil for 40 days in the wilderness, he endured. When his own family misunderstood him, he endured. When all his friends abandoned him, he endured. When the Pharisees told lies about him, he endured. When the Sadducees tried to trap him, he pressed on. He endured. When Judas betrayed him for like 30 measly pieces of silver, Christ endured. In the Garden of Gethsemane, He endured drops of blood from his brow. The temple guard comes and arrests him in the garden and he endures. All 11 disciples in his greatest moment of need scatter like just a bunch of mice fleeing a sinking ship and he endures. He's put through six illegal trials through that night and into the morning and he endures. He watches as Peter denies him and he endures. The crowds are crying out around him, crucify him, and he endures. He could have called like 10,000 angels to come and take him away, rescue him in that moment, but he endures. He watches Pilate, who just washes his hands, gives him over to be crucified. He sees the soldiers mock him, and he endures. He carries that cross on that Via Del Rosa road outside the city gates, and he endures. And then they put him, you know, in between heaven and earth, in between two thieves, and he endures. And Satan comes against him with all the power of the forces of hell on the cross, and he endures. He even feels that God has forsaken him. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he endures. And after he endured, on that third day, he rose again. We sing about it in that old hymn. Remember that old hymn, uh, Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph o'er his foes. He arose, the victor, Of the dark domain, and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose, he arose. Thank God Almighty, he arose. Because the one who endured and arose resides in you and I. And so, when it seems like everything is so dark, you know, we live by faith, not by sight. If we live by sight, we just look around and, like, there's a lot of reasons to be discouraged. But when we live by faith, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the one who endured, remembering that, like, even when it gets dark, like that one song says, you know, even when I feel surrounded by the darkness, maybe that's like the shadow of your wing. Because the one who endured and endures resides in you. And a light has dawned in the darkness. So we fix our eyes on the one who endures. See, when things got dark and everyone else went to sleep on the side of the road, Cliff Young kept going. He endured through the long night until the light broke. And when things got dark and everyone else fell asleep, Jesus endured. He endured through the long night. And the darkness did not win and despair did not have the last word because a light has dawned. And that light resides in you. And right now, it's like, you know, we're we're in an ultra, I think it's safe to say. Most everyone is struggling in some way. And when things are dark and you don't see the light, may you keep shuffling one foot in front of the other, fixing your eyes on Jesus so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. As we close, would you... Read these words from this passage out loud together with me. Together we say, with endurance, let us run the race set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God. For consider him who endured such hostility, by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let's pray together. God, you are good and your love endures forever. We rest in you even when we feel surrounded by darkness. We thank you that your love endures forever and that your eternal light shines in the darkness. Give us eyes that see by faith, not by sight. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God and Mother of us all, amen.